Welcome in, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the day, enjoying the weather. You know, one of the things that continues to get great traction here in the Nonprofit Insider Podcast is our nonprofit horror stories. We do it at the end of pretty much every episode we release every other Wednesday. And it gives you, as the the listener, at the audience, to, to really just write in a horror story, something from your past in a nonprofit industry that you want to share. And look, right now, it's the middle of summer. (laughs) Kids are in camp. Vacations are in full swing. You guys are going to the beach. You know, you're, you're doing things. So talking nonprofit shop all day, every day this time of the year, let's be honest, it doesn't quite hit the same, but content is king. And even in summer, Nonprofit leaders like yourself, you're working, you're getting grants, you're helping clients, you're you're doing things, but you know the energy can be a little bit different. So one of the things we decided to do was a collection of special episodes that you can enjoy in the summer. So if you're in the office, you're just trying to kill time, you're on a plane headed to a wedding, a lot of weddings, you know, this time of the season, you're in a car, you're traveling from Dallas to Denver with the family or Grand Junction, Colorado to Salt Lake City. We have you covered here at the Nonprofit Insider. We got you. So we're calling it the Nonprofit Horror Story Summer Series. That's a long title. We'll just really call it the Summer Series. And what we're going to do here on the last Friday of June and July, maybe in August if I'm feeling really good, but on the last Friday of June and July this summer, we're going to drop 30 or a 35-minute episode of some of the favorite, some of your favorite nonprofit horror stories thus far. But there's one major thing we're going to do for the summer series, and this is a big one. Because if you've been listening to us here at the Nonprofit Insider so far, you may have noticed I have not shared, I have not told any personal horror stories from my past that's going to change. As part of the summer series, I'm going to be starting each episode by exclusively sharing some of my nonprofit horror stories from my 20 years in the nonprofit space, as both a volunteer and as a paid staff member. It'll be an opportunity to share some insights from when I was a volunteer back in Charlotte, from when I was doing AmeriCorps in Mississippi and New Orleans, all the way up to when I was doing work in Seattle and doing work here in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So listen, I'm not going to waste any more time. But if you have a nonprofit story you want featured on the show, let's make it happen. I have two months worth of stories lined up, but I need more from you all. So because, you know, listen, once summer and October rolls around, I want to be able to read some of your stories as we continue to grow. So email me swim kareem at swim.kareem at gmail.com you can check the show notes i mean seriously you can email me today and if you're not sure what type of story you want to do just let just just email me we can figure it out it doesn't have to be anything extravagant and i'm hoping some of these stories will inspire you to share stories with other folks Earlier this week, I started watching season six of Black Mirror with the girlfriend. Love Black Mirror. If you haven't had a chance, check it out. Uh, been watching a lot of late, a lot of uh, Netflix lately. You know, when you're spending $16 a month. 
you better watch it, right? Because there was a while, about three months, I was like, you know what? I'm good on Netflix three, four months, but I'm back on it. They got, let's be honest, they got good content. I need to need to drop a grand on some Netflix options. Because I'm paying a lot of money, so I need to get some of that back. But we're, we're watching the first episode of season six, and it's called Joan is Awful. Some of you may have been seeing it trending. It's It's been a, one of the more popular uh, episodes now that Netflix has is, is dropped Black Mirror again. Not going to ruin the episode for you, but there's a scene in the mo- in the uh, in the movie. There's a scene in the episode where the main character, who, as you would imagine, her name is Joan, she's going through some things and she is talking to the, her partner as she's going through these things, and she says, "I'm having a panic attack." And I turned to my girlfriend at that moment. And I said, "What's the difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack?" She busts out the phone, busts out the iPhone, and she kind of looks at it and she says, a panic attack, according to the Cleveland Clinic website, is a sudden temporary feeling of fear and strong physical reactions to ordinary responses that are non-threatening, but it can feel like a heart attack where an anxiety attack is characterized by persistent and ongoing worry and is generally linked with physical symptoms, but it's a little bit different, right? Because it's maybe things that you've been thinking about a little bit more, that's been on your mind a little bit more. And I'm given the basic definition of the two. Look it up if you get a chance. So when she told me these definitions, I was reminded of a story that happened to me. It's a story that happened a while back, but it happened in the last 10 years. I was working with a nonprofit and really starting to get some higher level responsibilities in the organization. It was nice in the beginning for me, but like anything, you start to get into the thick of things and you have a bit, a little bit of a learning curve, right? We've all experienced that. You're working with a job. It's good for maybe like the first couple of weeks, but then you kind of hit that proverbial wall where you're like, oh my gosh, like you can kind of feel overwhelmed. You're learning different processes, you're working with people, and that initial excitement kind of wears off. And it was on one particular day, it was the middle of the week, like a Wednesday or a Thursday, and I was running, I mean, I was running low. I had been leading meetings, taking phone calls, and and interacting with coworkers in the office, and it was like one of those moments where I just, I was not at my best. I could just tell I wasn't operating on, on all cylinders. And everything, I mean, everything on that particular day really came together in a really heavy way. It, it was like, it was past, I know it was past noon, about maybe two or three in the afternoon. I was feeling, I mean, I was feeling tight because I used to wear a lot more suits earlier in my career. But, you know, let's be honest, since the pandemic, I rock a lot of athleisure wear. You know, wear some jeans, nice pair of Nike Dunks or whatnot. Um, but but this particular, I was wearing a suit, wearing a tie, and everything started to feel extra tight. I was getting like text messages from my ex-wife at the time. I, I was lacking sleep because I had a toddler in the house. And so a lot of you parents know when you have a kid that's under the age of four, you never quite sleep, right? Like I really didn't get a good night's sleep until my son was about five. Uh <laughs> So my per I had my my personal cell phone was on my desk capturing my attention. My work cell phone was right next to my personal cell phone. 
I had my laptop open, my desk computer was on. I was preparing to do a WebEx meeting and about like an hour or so later. So I'm in the office, overhead lights felt extra bright. I had the fluorescent lights on. If you're in a nonprofit space, you know what that means. And I had my, my office door was open at the time. And I was, I mean, I could feel it. I was starting to crumble. I could just feel it in my body. I started sweating. My heart rate was going really high. My neck just felt tight. My body felt unlike my own. And I remember this part so clearly. My office phone, because I had, I had a, again, I had my personal phone and my work cell phone, but I also had an office phone. My office phone started to ring. My office phone starts to ring, and I am losing it. All these devices were surrounding me. Laptop, desktop, phone, phone, another phone, bright lights. I'm in my office. My first time having my own office, and my phone starts ringing, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm legit on the edge of losing control but I'm holding it together for some odd reason. And then my phone stops ringing. Now, this is the important part. When my phone stops ringing, I start I start to come down a little bit. Like I'm on that edge, but I start to come down a little bit, almost as if I'm slowly walking back from the edge of the cliff. But less than a minute later, something happened that to this day, I will probably never forget. I'm sitting there. I'm realizing I'm not doing well. I'm trying my best to bring myself down. When I see out the corner of my eye, my work phone, and my work phone has a, it has a small little part. It's like a modern 21st century phone. It has like a little liquid display screen. It has colors on it, you know. But there's a small section on the phone. It it can't be any more than a fourth of an inch long and a fourth of an inch wide. And and it's a small little window that lets you know if you have a voicemail on your phone. And that small, insignificant part of of, of life, of this phone, starts to blink red. And it was at that moment my entire entire world just crashed and I remember thinking in the moment just because you know listen mental health is right now it's going through a a renaissance right more and more people are really learning to identify mental health you're hearing more from podcasts articles features just in just in life just talking to people i'm really good friends with a therapist shout out to nicole i see you and i just remember thinking this moment i don't even know how because i was again this is like a couple years you know within the last 10 years but i remember in that moment going i'm having a panic attack i'm having a panic attack and i could like i the whole world just almost stopped existing and I'm looking around and I, I just feel all of myself. I forget about kid, wife, family, work, 
it was just in that moment, like, I just need to do everything possible right now because I'm having a panic attack. Stand up. I close the door. I shut everything off, turn off the lights. And I just sat. I didn't even sit. I, 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 I laid down under my desk probably 15, 20 minutes. I think I cried. I almost think I cried a little bit, like water. Like not cry, cry, but water's coming out of my eyes because I, I could just, I could feel it. And look, one of the things in the nonprofit space that I think it's talked a lot, a lot in the nonprofit world, burnout is real. And it's an industry that consistently has talked about burnout because a lot of the, at least in the traditional stereotypical sense, a lot of the activities that happen in a nonprofit space, the energy you put into it, the emotional toll that can come from working at food banks, working in Medicare, dealing with tons of forms for grants, working in government agency groups or working with government agency groups, it can just feel like a lot, especially if you're not getting paid a whole lot, if you're feeling as if your peers that are in the for-profit space, they may experience a lot of that, but they reap a lot more of the rewards where if you're in a 501c3, a 501c1, a 50c, I'm trying to think of some others, uh, 16, you may feel like you're doing work that betters the society as a whole, but you can kind of feel left behind. And for me, that was a moment of, I, I didn't experience burnout. I was literally just overwhelmed with life. But it was that moment of knowing that burnout can happen in so many different ways because you can have an instance of just whoosh, just a, just a whoosh. So if you're in a nonprofit space, listen, recognize those things to the best of your ability. It's the one and only time I've ever had a panic attack. And that's not to pat myself on the back or gloat or anything like that. I've been very fortunate from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint. Uh, I, I recognize a lot of those blessings, but having that is one of those things where I am now more sympathetic to others because I know what that felt like and it felt like my, I knew, I knew to myself, I said, I'm not having a heart attack, I'm gonna be fine. But at that exact moment, life just got too hard, too fast and I needed to lay under my desk for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes and, and just really reassess myself. All right, Swim, I have a sort of kind of horror story for you that's not super wild, but still kind of wild. So one time I was working for a nonprofit adoption agency and was having a really great time. I had only been working for the company for about a year or so when the executive director had a bright idea. A company-wide building, or as a company-wide building exercise, we would enter our nonprofit agency into a local 5K fundraiser. Now, the 5K would support another nonprofit we weren't really partnered with, but the real desire was to have a collective goal we could work on together as a team. And it would promote a little bit of health and a little bit of wellness. 
The executive director said she would pay for all the registration fees out of her own pocket because she really just wanted to use the next three months to build a bond and have a common goal between us, you know, yada, yada, yada. It sounds kind of cheesy, but her heart was in the right place. And she was a motivating leader, so I was inspired to do it. The agency I worked at only had about 15 people or so, so nine, only nine of us were even in a position, health-wise, life-wise, calendar-wise, to do the 5K. But over the next 12 to 13 weeks, I purchased new running shoes, used my phone to track the progress. This was back in 2015. And in the early stages, once a week, the nine of us would get together during lunch and walk anywhere from 25 to 75% of the 5K's length. We almost started, or we mostly all started slow, but by the end, I was feeling pretty good about the race. And for the first three weeks, all 15 of us would actually get together and just do brief little walks around the block a couple of times, nothing too crazy. Fast forward to the day of the event, and we are at a park that's serving as a meeting point for the race. It's like 7 in the morning on a Saturday, and despite it being late spring in the Midwest, the weather is really cold that day. The team, for the most part, was in good spirits. We were in a good mood. We were ready to go. Well, that is everyone except for the executive director. We don't see her anywhere, and we're having a lot of trouble contacting her. So after about 30 minutes of calling, reaching out to her, doing everything we could, she finally shows up. And it's like 20 minutes until the races were getting ready to start. And she gets out of her car and she is panicked. Despite all the weeks of anticipation, it turns out she failed to even register the nine of us for the race and they sold out of spaces. The team at first was very confused, but the energy quickly turned on her. Everyone was like, what the hell is going on here? Is this a joke? <laughs> here we are, we're in the cold, we're outside on a Saturday morning for free, mind you. None of us are getting paid for this. This isn't like extra time. We're doing this out of the goodness of our heart. And now we can't even do the race. We, we don't have bibs. We don't have the gear. We don't have anything like that. She said she had honestly, she was, she was so excited for the race, she kind of forgot to register. And she would later confess that she wanted to wait to register the team in case anyone left the organization because there could be a lot of turnover in my particular field of adoption nonprofit due to burnout and red tape, you know, et cetera. And since the race was in a smaller Midwest town, in years past, she would sometimes wait until the day before or even the day of the event to register uh, with no problem. So the executive director, she is able to get us the ability to do the race because, again, it's just in a park. It's not that big a deal. So we're able to do the race. But again, we have no bibs. We have no efficient placement for, for our efforts. And we, and we don't even get the record of saying that we really did the 5K, if you get my drift. It, it was a oddly defined feeding and deflating feeling to accomplish something so cool, but without the praise and the acknowledgement in the way we thought we would all get. And to add insult to injury, one of the team members got a sprained ankle during the race when they bumped into another person. It was just all bad. I mean, it just really all sucked. 
The executive director was visibly embarrassed, and for the next week, it was very awkward in the office, but she made it up to us a little bit. She she purchased lunch twice over a seven-day span, so that was a really nice offering. I told her a few weeks later that next time, she could just have us do an escape room and skip the 5K runs. Good luck on the podcast, Swim. Excited to hear the first episode. So she told me that she, it was it was really funny because she had reached out to me, said, I have a horror story. I said, oh, perfect. We should talk anyway. And, and I told her, I said, look, don't even tell me the story first. I want to hear it in real time. I swear I was glued listening to her tell me the story. And one of the things I asked her at the end after she told me the story, which I thought was really, really wild. She said she ended up working there a couple years later. But I just said, you know, what what would you, what are some things that you would like to share in a podcast? And she said that um, the average adoption age in America is six or seven years old, six, seven years old, and that the percentage of adoption goes down about three to five percent every for every year that's added to a child's age, with teenagers being the least likely group to be adopted. So she had said, for those of you that, that get a chance to listen to one of these early episodes of the Nonprofit Insider and listen to that horror story, to go to adoptuskids.org. She uh, is no longer in the adoption space, but she still has a special place in her heart for adoption. So shout out to her and, and shout out to those folks that are uh, working in the adoption space. We appreciate the work you're doing. Hey, Swim, thanks for reaching out. It's been a while. Great hearing from you. And they go on to say a few more things that you all wouldn't really care about, but they just kind of just say some nice things in the beginning. And so they go on to say, and I'll just kind of read it through here. Don't use my name on this, but I have a great, well, semi-great nonprofit horror story. Back in 2012, after we graduated college, I was living just outside of Denver in Aurora, Aurora, working with a nonprofit doing work in homelessness. I had been with the organization for about 10 months when the tragic shooting happened at the movie theater. It was on a Wednesday and our organization was scheduled to do a small but sizable money raising event that upcoming Saturday. I was distraught about the shooting, but the executive director made the right decision in canceling the event. Now, mind you, the organization as a whole was not that big. I think we had roughly 15 people on staff, so that's important to know. One of the staff members even went to grade school, I believe, with one of the victims, so it was a hard time for the community, not just in our nonprofit. Fast forward a few weeks later, and we decided to postpone the event indefinitely. Without getting into too many details, we had to provide some of the money back to a few individuals and groups who paid for sponsorship tables, but many of our vendors completely understood the situation, so the organization was able to get most, if not all, of its money back from various vendors. But we also weren't able to raise any money, uh, despite a few, and she goes on to say, despite a few uh, individuals deciding to just go ahead and donate the money, even though the event didn't happen. She continues by saying, here's the horror part. I'm in our office break room one day and the lead fundraiser of the event is spilling her guts about how unhappy she was that the organization lost out on what might have been thirty or $40,000. I wasn't in the finance department and I was pretty new to the organization, so I'm not sure of the exact amount 
but she was pissed that she was not able to pull in the cash or get a bonus from what we lost. Because let's remember, and she puts this part in all caps, 12 people died and 50 something people were shot. It was honestly so surreal to hear what I thought. Okay. It was honestly so surreal to hear what I thought was a smart, intelligent, kind person be mad that they might miss out on a few thousand dollars from their pocket due to a tragedy of this scale. It honestly floored me. The executive director was kind and gave us lots of time to process what many of us in Aurora were experiencing, grief, pain, and sorrow. But this fundraiser, by all accounts, simply felt they were missing out on some money and maybe a little bit of recognition. It was strange and an, it, it, it was strange and an experience that will forever, forever stay with me and how not to react in moments of fear, confusion, or general crisis. Anyway, hope that helps. Let me know if you put this on your podcast, G. Uh, I can tell you I'm definitely putting this on a podcast. <laughs> Um, because that is absolutely a, a crazy and honestly wild story. And I love the, I mean, honestly, I mean, you don't love the story, but I love the part where she says it, it was honestly so surreal to hear because that does sound so surreal. It sounds so fictional that you're like, wait, they were upset that they didn't get a, maybe a, or they wouldn't get a bonus. It, it, just a, a really... Um, wild story. And so actually this person, G, sent this email into me and I actually ended up reaching back out to them because I was like, hey, I have some questions about this. And one of the things I wanted to know was because she said she had been with the organization just about 10 months. And I asked, well, how long had that person been in the organization? She said she believed it was about five or six years, but they ended up leaving the organization maybe like six months later or something like that. And she says, she goes on to say like she had a good relationship with her, but it was just one of those moments of not getting empathy, not getting of a person really just not reading the temperature of the room. And I think one of the stereotypes that gets thrown out there with a lot of nonprofit organizations is that it's filled with warm, um, tree hugging type of people that are willing to uh, pat your back at any time. And it's like, no, nonprofit organizations are like your local retail target store. They're like your local uh, automotive uh, factory, warehouse. They're like any organization. They're like any type of structure where there's just gonna be some people that are part of the organization that are a little less than desirable people who maybe have struggles with empathy or have struggles with really seeing what other people are feeling and experiencing and really being out for themselves. I say all the time, there's a lot of money to be made in the nonprofit space. There are a lot of opportunities to advance your career, to make money, to get the glory, uh, whether you're working at a, a super large nonprofit or really a small nonprofit. But there's just some moments that you really just got to be like, look, it's not about the money. It's not about any of that. It's just about people. So, yeah, absolutely wild story. Thank you, G, for sharing. Uh, Let's go ahead and end it on that. Be sure to leave a review. 
follow us on Instagram at the Nonprofit Insider. And if you have a nonprofit horror story or a nonprofit success story you want to tell, you can DM me at the Nonprofit Insider on Instagram, or you can reach out to me at the, and that's T H E E, not the, but the T H E E Nonprofit Insider. Uh, at gmail.com. I, I, I actually registered that as a business with Gmail. And now Gmail is like, hey, are you going to put address up? Where are you located? So I got to figure out how to change that from a business account to a personal account. Uh, I think I butchered that there. You know, like I said, still still figuring some things out here at the Nonprofit Insider. So be sure to he- head out to us, reach out to us uh, with your horror stories, your success stories, and be sure to leave a review and follow us on Instagram.